Welcome to the Benwood Johnson Podcast. You can visit Dr. Johnson's blog at benwoodpost.com. Dr. Johnson's works can be found at drbenwoodjohnson.com. You can also support Dr. Johnson on Patreon, the link to which is in the description. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome to the Benwood Johnson Podcast. Uh, today is August the 26th, 2019, and this is podcast number 36. Um, one more time, once again, happy to be here. Dr. Johnson's here. Um, today, we are going to continue our conversation about education, and we are still uh, focusing on John Dewey. And the book, the book of choice, is still John Dewey, Experience and Education. Now, this is a wonderful book. I recommend it. And if you haven't read it, just it's a must read, especially if you are in the domain of education or if you are in philosophy altogether. It is a great book. Uh, you should read it. But in any case, I have sort of summarized some of this, the gist of this book in this uh, in these series. Um, you know, the first two or three podcasts sort of lay out what education is according to Dewey. Uh, today, we are continuing our conversation about the concept of experience. And today, we are talking about the relevance of experience. In other words, we are talking about what counts as experience, according to John Dewey. This is a fairly uh, convoluted uh, podcast. Uh, the concepts, um, the back and forth are a little bit uh, confusing. So if you find yourself struggling to understand what I am saying, what I'm trying to articulate, um, just, just bear with me. Uh, listen to the podcast all the way to the end. Perhaps you'll have a good grasp of what it is that I'm trying to say in this podcast. Like I said, this is a very uh, important podcast because it sets the stage for the notion of experience, how it is important, how it defines the individual in the end. So without further ado, let us delve right into it. experience in education, John Dewey is trying to make sense of what uh, what the criteria for experience um, are or what they should be. He argues that there is a need to have a theory of experience because from his perspective, this is the best way to conduct an educational system that is intelligent or to conduct an education intelligently. Now, he has identified uh, a category called continuity. He's arguing that there's a, a, a need to discriminate between experiences that are worth educationally or that are, that are worth passing from one person to another but he's also talking about experiences that are not educationally worthy, not worth uh, passing on to another. And he's saying that, that discrimination is important 
for one particular reason. It allows the learner or, or the person educating others, it allows an individual to make a clear delineation between a traditional approach to education and a more progressive approach to education. And he's saying that that's important because a traditional approach to education is much more autocratic. Whereas a progressive approach to education is much more democratic. And the reason for that, he's saying, is that a democratic approach is much more humane, much more acceptable. We are likely to drift towards the humanity of education, if you want to put it this way. Now he's wondering, well, why would we choose a more humane approach? Why it is likely that we would gravitate towards a much more humane approach to education as opposed to an autocratic approach to education? He's also cautioned not to conflate between the reason for our inclination towards a much more progressive approach as opposed to a, a, a traditional approach. He cautions not to conflate or not to, um, to mix those two because there's a difference between the reason why we want to choose that path as opposed to the causes. And he's saying that the causes could be that we were exposed uh, to uh, this particular uh, way of doing things. We were taught to think that way. We were told that education is supposed to be a certain way. Okay, But he's also saying that the cause itself could also have different consequences in terms of people who are likely or at least who want to espouse uh progressive approach to education or a humane approach to education could also look at education from a different angle. In other words, they could have a much more fascist approach, for example. It is better to focus on the reason we would choose a much more uh, a humane uh, method, a humane uh, approach to education. And he's arguing that uh, a democratic approach to education is humane, but it is also going to lead uh, to beliefs about uh, uh, social arrangements which would uh, promote uh, a better living experience for the for the person being educated. Uh, as he puts it, it's a better quality of human experience. So he's saying that a democratic approach would uh, likely create an atmosphere where uh, human freedom or individual freedom would be um, protected or at least advocated, would be promoted. Um, the decency, uh, kindness, uh, human relations, all of these things would be sought out as opposed to an uh, autocratic system where, you know, those things, or at least certain ways of being, would be uh, forced or coerced into, onto the individual. In an autocratic system, we are likely to gravitate towards uh, a system of repression, uh, a coercion. Um, so he's saying that 
these uh, qualities, that is, these features of an autocratic system are not uh, appealing uh, to the extent that we are likely to gravitate towards that, uh, you know, democratic. And he's saying we should not focus on the causes for that gravitation, rather from the why. And he's saying the why is that one of those two systems, uh, you know, is more likely to create this this quality of life, if you will, and it is the democratic system. So we are likely to gravitate towards that, not as a causes for that gravitation, rather as the why, which is, um, you know, a democratic system will encourage individual freedom. It will encourage uh, a quality of life, a kindness, decency, you know, dignity of the individual. So a democratic system will likely promote that as opposed to an autocratic system. So in this case, the preference for the continuity principle is going to allow the discrimination between those two. So the principle of continuity, or at least the theory of continuity, is going to enhance, is going to facilitate the, the discrimination between you know, democracy and autocracy. But the principle or the theory of continuity is based on uh, certain habits, uh, habits that are understood uh, from a biological lens or from a biological standpoint. He's saying the foundation of every habit is that it is going to affect the individual in a certain way. Those habits are going to define the individual to act or not to act a certain way, which in turn is going to affect the way we see that individual or his or her actions and that in turn would affect whether or not we would like to have such habits or we would like to espouse such habits okay those habits could have an incommensurable impact on the individual because those habits could inform the individuals in terms of his attitudes, um, in terms of the way he, he behaves, he acts, um, you know, conducts himself either emotionally or intellectually. So those habits are going to inform our experience in terms of who we are, um, how we interact with the world around us. So those experiences or certain habits are going to inform who we are in the long run, okay? And they are going to define us as entity or as a collective, right? So in other words, those habits are going to define us as individuals, but they are also going to define us as a society, okay? Um, so the habits that we have or we prefer, we afford a certain predominance uh, are going to dictate who we are, okay? So growth, for instance, uh, is an example of how the principle of continuity applies on the individual. So in this case, the individual is able to develop not only physically, but also intellectually and morally, okay? So in this case, let's say you, you begin a career as a, as a, as a football player. There's this idea that in the beginning, you start out with, with this skill. And as time goes by, you develop yourself you know, intellectually, physically, and also morally in terms of the do's and don'ts of the, of the field, at least of the, of the sports. You, you develop yourself in, 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 in this field. 
Uh, do we give the example of a burglar? In the beginning, the, the, the man, you know, starts as a burglar, but as time goes by, he sort of becomes much more, um, you know, skilled at burglarizing others. He becomes much more like Dewey refers to as an, as an expert, highly expert burglar, as Dewey puts it. But the growth itself, the concept of growth itself is not enough. The direction of the growth is also important. Because you could grow in a positive way, but you could also grow in a negative way, to put it this way. Okay? And in the case of the burglar, the growth itself is not enough because there are so many directions that the, the man could take. In this case, the man could become a gangster. He could um, become a corrupt politician. But when it comes to education, Dewey is saying when we're talking about growth in education, it could either be a growth that facilitates a general growth or it could, could hamper or hinder the general growth or it could become an impediment for general growth those are the directions that you could take when you are growing from an educational standpoint when, when Dewey talks about growth he's saying the growth could take different directions it could either be a growth towards a progress of the individual or the collective or the progress in general it could be the opposite okay the direction of the growth is going to have an impact on the attitude of the person experiencing that growth. It is going to have an impact on the habits of that individual. As, as you grow, you develop skills which could either facilitate your, your development intellectually, physically, and even morally, or it could hamper that. There are certain habits that are going to facilitate your development. And, and to give you an example, let us say that you have the habit of reading a book every day. And as a child, you were taught, or at least you were told, or you grew up and you developed the habit of reading. That habit is going to affect you personally, physically, intellectually, and also morally. Because as you read, you might become less active. Uh, from a physical standpoint because you sort of like sitting in a corner and reading a book or reading something that might affect you uh, physically that might also affect you intellectually because as you read you are learning about the world you are learning about uh, certain concepts um, that you would not have otherwise learned and also that might inform you morally because as you read you might learn again going back to the concept of learning about uh, certain concepts you might learn about uh, certain uh, views and uh, moral or philosophical principles which are going to affect your worldview which are going to affect your attitude uh, towards uh, others towards the world in general so in this case uh, you know the habit of reading at an early age for instance could have a long-term uh, impact impact on you as a person it could have a long-term impact on you uh, um, you know as the way you affect others uh, as the way others affect you right so this is the kind of continuity this is the kind of growth do we sort of referring to in his arguments if you develop the opposite habits let's say you have developed uh, the habit of 
playing video games. If this is your habit of sitting somewhere playing games all day, um, you are likely to be affected either in a positive way or a negative way, right? But this habit is going to affect your attitude. Um, you know, being exposed to playing video games or playing any games, whether it's a, a card games or poker or whatnot, um, you know, this could ultimately affect you individually, physically, mentally, and morally at some point. And so it's a growth, as Dewey would say, in the wrong direction, as opposed to the, the guy who's sort of, um, you know, been reading books ever since he was a kid. Uh, Dewey would say this is a growth in, in a positive direction because that growth is going to be, uh, you know, a positive growth on the in, in general, right? Because you could prefer that over, uh, you know, playing video games, which is not necessarily uh, going to take you to uh, a place where it could affect you in a positive way. Of course, this is open for debate. Uh, time is changing when it comes to video games. So I'm not picking on video gamers and, and saying that, but I'm just making the point that certain habits could either facilitate your growth or it could stagnate your growth to the extent that the growth itself might be a good thing if it is in the right direction or it could be a bad thing if it is in the wrong direction as Dewey would probably say. Uh, Dewey points out a caveat where he's saying that although experience is important uh, but it does not go inside the individual. This is to say there's something else going on. Uh, experience sort of uh, affects the individual in terms of, of his attitude, in terms of his uh, perspective, uh, in terms of his demeanor, if you want to put it this way. Uh, but there's something else. There's something else uh, going on in terms of how it affects the individual. So he's saying that there's a, a natural tendency to be a certain way. Okay, the experience itself may have an impact on the individual um, at a superficial level, like it changes your way of being um, superficially. But underneath, the, your nature will always kick in. In this case, Dewey is taking the example of civilization and barbaric attitude. He's saying that when civilization is, is, is there, for example, when there are roads, um, lights, electricity, uh, transportation, there are so many things in this world that sort of affect the way we view ourselves in the world and the way we view the world itself. But that does not necessarily make us that intrinsically. Um, because if you were to remove all those external conditions, if you were to remove all those external stimuli in terms of the roads, uh, electricity, televisions, video games, if you will, if we were to take away these stimuli, um, the individual would revert back to his natural state which in this case Dewey is saying so they would sort of stray away from civilization in, in other words their nature would call them back of course we could argue as to whether or not this is the case I've, I've always argued uh, in, in my philosophy that this is not necessarily the case I don't necessarily agree with Dewey in this case um, because I don't think the individual sort of uh, does away with his nature just to embrace civilization I think nature is always there it's just underneath, it is repressed, it is suppressed, and it comes out once in a while. It does not necessarily come 
out in the most barbaric way. Um, let's say um, you would not become a cannibal just because you're hungry. But the instinct, uh, the natural urge to do that is not necessarily extent, does not necessarily disappear in you. Uh, somehow your nature to, to be a certain way is always there. Uh, again, we, we could agree to disagree as to the extent to which every human being has the capacity to suppress his or her nature to the extent that he has developed new habits, new ways of being, and, and, and those new habits have sort of like informed the individual's experience uh, in the world in terms of how the individual is uh, intrinsically. Uh, so we're not going to get into that. But Dewey is saying that, you know, the growth itself is not enough. Uh, whether you grow in this direction or that direction, whether you have this experience or that experience, there's a, an objective, as he puts it, uh, a reality in which that experience is always going to be subjected at, to the objective uh, conditions uh, of the experience itself. So at, at some point, the individual would revert back to who he was or to who he is naturally. Now, although these are not Dewey's words, but that's the implication of this idea of relapse into a barbaric state, as Dewey puts it. So, um, Dewey's saying that our experience is sort of uh, informed by where we are. And he's saying that we leave, uh, we grow, we evolve, we, we, we function in an environment that is informed by people, by things that people put on this, on this planet to the extent that we created them. Uh, we develop those experiences. Of course, we could uh, take that back to the concept of growth. Uh, we've grown to the extent that we have created tools, we have created techniques, we have developed technologies which sort of afforded us a worldview which is not necessarily natural to the extent that our beingness is dependent on those things that we have created uh, or our beingness is dependent on the people that are around us um, but that does not necessarily make us that particular entity within that world because underneath it all we are human beings with certain natural tendencies to be uh, a certain way so who we are is always based on what we were told, on the experience of others, how they view themselves. And this is what is being taught to us. This is how we're sort of in, being inculcated ways of lives, uh, ways of beings. And uh, this is what def defines us. So the understanding that the individual is intrinsic is not necessarily the case, Dewey says. So... Whatever we are, whoever we are, is not the result of itself. In other words, we cannot exist in a vacuum. Okay? We are impacted by others, by other things around us. Again, going back to the cogito and this idea that we are who we know we are. Because at the end of the day, whoever we are, whoever we think we are, is based on whoever we see that we are. Whoever we think we can imagine that we are. So at the end of the day, the cogito is important to the extent that we are who we know or we think. That does not necessarily make it so. But at the end of the day, as we evolve in this milieu, as we evolve in this environment, we sort of take the shape of that environment. We sort of become that environment. We become a part of it. 
okay? So the experience itself is not something that was made in a vacuum. There are certain remnants uh, you know, of the environment itself that sort of inform that experience, that sort of define that experience, right? So the experience itself is the result of other things around us. Who we are is the, is the result of other things, other entities around us. And we have to take that into account. Again, that's the argument in the cogito. In the cogito, what I argue is that most people don't realize they are part of everything else. They think they exist in a vacuum. They think they are entities in and of themselves. You know, and it's, it's sort of contradictory to the notion of of being itself, right? Because you cannot be unless you are part of. And, and what we're going to see in the next podcast is this idea of, of freedom, as Dewey puts it. Of course, we're, we're going to examine that in in in, in depth, but it's. it's idea that you can be on your own you can be just to be ignoring the fact that we can only be when we are part of and by definition we cannot be free individual freedom is, is an illusion of course i digress a little bit today we're not talking about individual freedom but it's this idea as Dewey is putting it here that experience is informed or uh, an experience is informed by uh, certain entities that are uh, you know external to us this idea that we exist in a vacuum is is is, is false okay but he's saying this creates a problem for for the progressive approach to education because the progressive approach to education, although it has its positives, it has its, its pros, you know, sort of ignores that to the extent that it does not deal with the idea that we are part of, we are sort of interconnected, we are intertwined uh, to the extent that even though what we experience is somewhat personal or individual, but it is part of a collective, it is part of, of, of an assemble of beings, it is, it is part of that that makes us who we are. Uh, progressive sort of try to ignore, overlook that, uh, that, that particularity in, in, in the individual. It's this idea that we can create an experience that is tailored for the individual. Right. So, so the progressive education sort of ignores this this notion that we ought to, uh, you know, spring from everything, um, you know, to uh, take away from everything uh, around us to build our experience, to build our our living conditions. Right. Um, we need to take away, to take from the uh, surroundings, the physical and the social, extract some, extrapolate, um, you know, from them in order to build our our experiences, uh, an experience that is worthwhile, uh, as Dewey would put it. Traditional education did not have this problem. The reason is simple. It didn't have to deal with it. Traditional education didn't have to deal with the surroundings. It didn't have to deal with what, what was going on in the, in the social. It didn't have to deal with what was going on in the physical. Traditional education did not have to deal with that. As Dewey puts it, it could dodge it systematically. It could dodge that responsibility systematically. So, in traditional education, all you needed was a school, uh, a desk, um, you know, a schoolyard, and sometimes a cafeteria, you know, and that's all. That's all you needed for education. You didn't have to take into account everything else, right? Dewey is not saying that this is good. What he's saying is that a traditional approach to education did not take into account the fact that we are part of. Uh, we are not in a vacuum, right? Progressive education, on the other hand, cannot deal with that either. It cannot find a way to associate the need to be uh, in relation to others. 
So in, in traditional education, uh, the teacher, the person teaching, uh, you know, the, the teacher did not did not have to take into account what's happening in the neighborhood. The, the teacher did, did not have to take into account whether there was poverty, uh, why students couldn't learn, what was happening in the household that was having an impact on the on the students. Um, they didn't have to take into account budget, political issues, which, which somehow had an impact on, on, on the learning of, of the student. Um, so traditional education did not have to take that into account. Uh, and for the most part, they, they willingly, or at least they blatantly ignore these factors. So if you're going to have an education that is based on experience, and that experience is going to be based on looking at what's going on in the community, looking at what's going on in the history of the community in terms of the relationship between the people in the community, how they interact, what's the, what, what, what's the story, and to take that into account as to how to educate the kids, how to educate the children, or at least the learners, because what's happening out there is also having an impact on what's happening inside the classroom, inside the head of the individual that is also affecting the experience of the individual, which is going to contribute either to a growth in the right direction or in the wrong direction, okay? So there's always this objective uh, you know, assessment of who we are within the process of education. This is why Dewey coins objective conditions, right? You have to have an education that does not restrict, that, that does not subordinate the objective condition um, to those being educated. The individual also has a sight, also has an impact on his or her education. Do we caution not to restrict those objective uh, you know, conditions? So when we are trying to control those objective conditions in the individual or in the learner, we are not facilitating the growth of the individual okay we're sort of restricting the individual and in a sense we are limiting the freedom of the individual because we're sort of dictating to the individual what experience matters how that experience matters and why that experience matters so we're not letting the individual experience the experience itself by itself so we sort of come in between and we're trying to just, just dictate to the individual, this is what's important, this is what you need to pay attention to, this is what you need to feel, this is how you need to feel, this is what you need to know. When in fact, it is not necessarily the case for the individual. So when we engage in that, we are sort of threatening, we're restricting, limiting the individual freedom, or at least the, the freedom of the individual. Dewey is saying that we, we need to take into account the objective conditions in terms of, you know, we need to recognize what our responsibilities are in relation to what the needs of others are, okay? And it's this um, interaction, if you will, it, it, this understanding that is going to allow uh, a much more um, progressive or at least um, a much more beneficial arrangement between what we are teaching the person or inculcating the person and what the person is experiencing because we are not trying to hamper we are not trying to prevent the individual from experiencing the world a certain way we don't place ourselves in between the individual and his or her experience at the same time we recognize what our responsibilities are and we take them and as we do, we allow the individual to be a certain way. Otherwise, we would be restricting that individual. We would be limiting that individual in terms of his or her experience in the world. 
In other words, we do not force an experience onto the individual. We allow the individual to have a normal experience. We allow for an objective and internal conditions to take place. So if we try to regulate the objective condition, it is going to affect the experience of the individual not necessarily in a positive way. It is not going to facilitate the growth of the individual in the right direction. Because if we do that, we are going to affect the freedom of the individual. So we have to let the individual experience the world, experience uh, uh, the the situations that come before him or her. We do not interpose ourselves in between the individual and his or her experience in the world. Because when we do that, we're attempting, or at least we are regulating uh, the objective conditions in which the individual is going to experience the world. So the individual has to interact with the environment on his own. It becomes another principle of experience. So one, we have the continuity, and then two, we have the interaction, right? The continuity is the the, the growth of the individual over time, right? The growth of the individuals in terms of how the individual experiences the world, right? And that creates the continuity, either in a positive or negative. But at the end of the day, the individual has to interact with that experience. And as Dewey puts it, the two principles of experience, uh, continuity uh, and interaction, they're not necessarily different, but they're not necessarily the same. You know what I mean? So there's a distinction between those two to the extent that the individual uh, you know, experiences the world a certain way and interacts with that experience a certain way. So at the end of the day, uh, continuity and interaction are going to, um, you know, inform the individual in terms of the relevance of his education uh, or the, the relevance of the experience that he or she is having and to the value of the experience that, that, that he or she is having. Because if the individual is allowed to, uh, you know, discern on his own the value of, of the experience that he or she is having, that individual is likely to retain that experience. It's likely to become a part of the individual, right? Um, otherwise, the individual is just going to be like a robot going through the process, not necessarily amassing anything of a value. Um, and do it gives the example of being in school, you spend a, a good portion of your life in school and you have nothing to show for it. Most of what you've learned, um, you know, sort of forgotten. Um, the things that you sort of retained are the things that you sort of valued along the way. The things that you sort of, uh, on your own, assign a certain, uh, you know, a numeric or uh, qualitative value to it. Those are the things that you're going to remember. Those are the things that are, that matters for you. Those are the things that, that matter to the extent that you sort of, uh, you know, understand them and are going to retain them. Those are the skills that matter in the long run. So that experience in and of itself should not be guided to the extent that it is imposed, it is coerced, it is forced. The individual has, on his own, developed them. Okay? Of course, there is a certain amount of regulation to the extent that you sort of steer the individual in the right direction. But in the end, the individual has to sort of uh, leave that experience on his own. He or she has to leave that experience, sort of quantify that experience. 
Um, you know, and that can only be done uh, when the individual is not restricted, uh, is not limited in a certain way. When the individual is allowed to sort of live the process of continuity and at the same time allowed to go through the process of, of interaction. Otherwise, everything you learn in the process that is not based on that approach uh, are not going to be really learned. You're just going to learn them to just to pass an exam, uh, just to go from one point to another. But that information is going to be forgotten. It's, it's going to be gone because it was not, there was no, there was no intrinsic value that you, at least the individual, objectively assess to those materials, to those subjects. So education, to the extent that the individual is allowed to grow, is allowed to mature, it is going to be a productive process. Otherwise, it is not. So it is important to understand that because we have an educational system these days that is sort of based on this idea that they know what's good for you. Uh, they know what's best for you. Uh, they know what is it that you need to know and learn uh, and understand and pass. Um, they have sets of skills that are expected, that you are expected to go to school and learn those skills. And you are tested on those skills. And it, it is based on that that you as an individual is uh, given a certain worth in society. You are given a certain place in society to be, to evolve and to become. All right? So you have no choice but to be that way but do is asking to what extent this is good for education as a whole to what extent this is facilitating the progress of the individual or even the progress of the collective of society as a whole and i'm sure dewey would say no that's not the case although modern uh, uh, the modern approach to education is sort of based on dewey but they're not necessarily doing what Dewey was uh, was preaching in his philosophy. I don't think Dewey would have supported uh, what we think of education these days or how we approach education these days. This idea of standards, that this idea that experience have to be uniform, this idea that we ought to see the world a certain way. I don't think Dewey would see it that way. And I think at the end of the day, this is one of the biggest problems in education these days. Uh, again, in, in the next uh, podcast, we are going to talk about this idea of social control because at the end of the day we are driven more towards the autocratic approach to education as opposed to the democratic approach although we pretend at least we say to ourselves that we are much more democratic than autocratic but we are autocratic we are forcing we are coercing the individual to be a certain way but we are doing it in the name of control, in the name of, 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 of order, right? And that's a problem for the individual in the end because the individual at this point is not allowed to be, is not allowed to experience the world the way it was supposed to be. So the individual is sort of has absolutely no recourse other than to be how we, those who create our educational system, design him to be. The individual has no other options but to be how we want him to be, uh, the way we want him to be, and for the purpose that we want him to be. And I'm sure Dewey would refute our approach to education. Uh, it would be a sacrilege as opposed to a privilege. It would not be something great. Uh, it would be uh, doing harm to the person as opposed to facilitating the individual to be all that he could be.